So, Karen was picking the song for this morning. <laughs> what song did you end up picking? Psalm 87. Tell us about Psalm 87. <laughs> well, Psalm 87, some people think it's talking about how one day all the nations will acknowledge God. So, it says, He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistine, too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, This one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, This one and that one will be born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, This one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, All my fountain, fountains are in me. Amen. <clears throat> so, what's this psalm about? Anyone? I think it's about um, privilege of citizenship. So that's actually the perfect lead-in to our discussion in John chapter three today. Um, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. <laughs> we are married. Um, so, how do you obtain citizenship? So, if you're uh, if you're a citizen of another another country, um, you can renounce your citizenship and take citizenship in another country. So, how did you get your citizenship in, in the country of origin? You're born into it, right? Or adopted. So, yeah. So, uh, adopted has to do with, with birth as well. Um, so, citizenship comes through birth. We may add things to that in the human realm, but uh, in order to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you actually have to be born of the kingdom of God. Problem. That's right. Where are we born? Into the world. And John has not necessarily good things to say about the world, uh, nor does God. So let's let's go ahead and uh, we'll read through uh, chapter three, up through verse twenty-one. And it actually the entirety of, of chapter three is is related together, but we'll just read through chapter or verse twenty-one. Uh, this morning, and when we take the second part of the chapter, we'll address that, uh, how, the, how the relationship is there. It says, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So this is a very familiar passage uh, to a lot of people. They've heard of this guy Nicodemus. Who is this guy Nicodemus? Pardon? He's he's a ruler of the Jews, that's what it says, a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean that he was a ruler of the Jews? Part of the Sanhedrin. Right. So he would have been part of the Sanhedrin. So there were two um, groups of people that had uh, significant influence over the people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who were the Pharisees? They were, they were the religious folks. They were the ones that were very zealous about the Jewish religion and wanted to preserve it. So that Nicodemus is uh, a teacher, a rabbi, because it also says that he's a teacher. In fact, he's the teacher uh, of the Jews. means that he was also of that line of ascent that the Pharisees would have been from. But he's also a Sadducee, so that means he had um, authority in civil rule as well. So this is an important guy. How come we don't hear about Nicodemus anywhere else in the Bible? We'll hear about him in John a couple of times. We'll, we'll read about him in chapter 7 of John, and we'll read about him uh, in, in the, uh, after the crucifixion. But we don't read about him in other other places in the Bible. He's exclusively um, named and his character is kind of revealed a little bit in John. So there's something unique about Nicodemus that John wants to wants to hit on that evidently wasn't important to the other other uh, gospel writers. Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of Pharisees that Jesus talked about the whitewashed tombs. Right. I mean, woe to you, woe to you, and all that stuff. So, so it's just the Pharisees that he made. Was he just one of those? Yeah, so he would have been grouped in with that uh, religious leadership of which Jesus was very critical. Right. And yet... He has compassion on this guy. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, you know, in the, in the previous section about the cleansing in the temple and Jesus challenging that institution of the temple, what's the temple really about? And what's the heart of the people? At the end of that, it says, Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting or believing himself to them, for he knew all men. He knows the hearts of men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then it says, now there was a man. So you see that there's this passage about the heart of of, uh, man and what the um, religious heart should be within man, what the purpose of the institutions of religion are about, and how that rightly relates to God, because it's not that religion is unrelated to relationship with God, um, because everybody has religious practice. It's how you, how you relate in your religion to God that is important, that makes sense. And so here is now a man that represents the religious leaders of the Jew, and he also re- represents the civil leaders of the Jews. Right? And a uh, man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, both a Pharisee and a Sadducee, this man came to Jesus by night. So... Sneaking around. Yeah. What, what, what does that tell you about Nicodemus? He cares about his job title. Pardon? He cares about his job title. Yeah, he's, he's worried. And, but he wants to know the truth. Yeah. But he wants to know the truth. Right? So he's not going to uh, be totally hindered in coming to, to find out who Jesus is. But he still has a concern of man. Right? A concern about how people are going to view him if all of a sudden a religious leader becomes a follower of you know, one of these claimed messiahs. What's that going to do? Will it get him put out of the synagogue? Will he lose his place in, in, in leadership? Um, all of those different things, I imagine, are going through Nicodemus' head. So he comes to Jesus by night, which is also... Um, there's one of the, the uh, themes that John plays on throughout his gospel is light and dark. Right? We understand that Jesus is the true light that came into the world. And we're going to see that played out here. In fact, it concludes um, where it's talking about light and, and darkness. It says that uh, this is a judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night is playing into that that theme. But you also see something about the character of Nicodemus in that. So he came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what's the purpose of the signs? What are the signs and and what, what is the purpose of them? Right. So the, the, the 
Right. right. They're to point. The, they're to point out the uh, the veracity of the uh, testimony that's been given. Right. In other words, the truthfulness of what has been stated about who Jesus is. Um, that's the warrant that's brought to support that. And Nicodemus has heard the warrant. He's seen the signs. And he's also heard the claims. And he recognizes that, well, there's got to be something to it because no one could, you know, do the things that have been uh, tested to about Jesus except that he was sent from God. And he so, knows the law, too, so he knows the prophecies. He does. He knows, he knows the prophecies and he knows the prophets. So at a minimum, he's probably thinking, well, is this a prophet that's come from God? Is this someone that we should listen to? Right? And he wants to, to find out, is this someone we should listen to? Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, which is like, take note, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean to be born again? Well, he 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 clarifies because Nicodemus says, "I don't get it." That that seems kind of silly. He took it literally at first. Yeah. What I got to start over? Yeah. So he's talking about citizenship change, right? And he's saying that. Uh, unless you're born into the kingdom, you can't be a part of it. You can't be a citizen. So since you're not born into the kingdom, that means you need to be born again. In other words, it's not something that Nicodemus could do that would um, in some way uh, empower him to become a citizen. There wasn't a test he could take and pass. Right? So to become a citizen of the United States, you can, if you're uh, from another country and you want, for example, dual citizenship, you can, um, you can take a test and demonstrate that you understand what citizenship in the United States means and what the obligation associated with citizenship is. And if you're a good character, you can become a citizen of the United States. It takes a period of time. For that to occur, but people can become citizens by what they, by following a process, by what they do. But what Jesus is saying is, no, there isn't a process you can follow. The only way that you can actually be a citizen of the kingdom of God is to be born into the kingdom of God. So something is is uh, significantly missing from Nicodemus's life, and that's what Jesus is is saying. And of course, then there's this. Uh, struggle about, well, what does that mean to be born again? And uh, in some of your trans translations, you might see, instead of born again, it says born from above. Right? So it's, it's indicating a different origin, that we need a different origin. So I wanted to talk a little bit this morning about um, salvation. And what is salvation? Who can tell me what salvation is? We, you know, we're good Baptists. We say, you need to be born again. What is that means that you need to be saved, right? You need to have your citizenship changed. Um, what is that? What is salvation? Can somebody tell me what salvation is, Dana? Uh, salvation is. Uh, I just had it. Uh, it is being. It, well, we're already condemned, so it is being taken from the condemnation of the world. We're being saved from the condemnation of the world that we already exist in. From, from 
So why would we want to? Why would we even want to change our citizenship? Why do we need to be saved? Because the light that's coming to the world, and we want all of our, we want to show ourselves in the light instead of hiding in the darkness. So if we decided that um, God was better than the world, then we that might be a reason to want to change. What would cause us to do that? What would cause us not to choose the country of our birth? I think before you come to a realization of your need for salvation, you have to first realize your sense of depravity. Yes. That there's something wrong with the country of your birth. Right? And that when you recognize that there's something wrong with the country of your birth, what, what is it that is profound about that? I mean, there are a lot of things. So I was born in the United States. So I'm a, a naturalized citizen. And I have to declare that every once in a while. Um, there's a lot of things wrong with the country of my birth. But I'm still a U.S. citizen, and I'm not ready and able to move to New Zealand today. Actually, check that out. You're too old. I'm too old to move to New Zealand. They won't take me. So. The country you live in yourself is far from perfect. And there is nothing within your being that you could do to make yourself perfect. If anything, every, every action you try and do on your own is imperfect and wrong and is a, and is a sinful nature. Um, so you need the help of someone who is perfect, who can match your imperfections and take the weight and the guilt and the shame and the blame and the pain that cre that created that situation, right? And empower you. So you're you're hinting at what it is. I don't like the consequence. Associated the, your situation. The, the guilt, the pain, uh, the death. I don't like the consequences. In other words, you can't do anything to improve your lot. Yeah. That's right. So it takes a perfect person or give yourself over. Otherwise, you're just trying by your own actions to. Right. Well, and it's, it's clearly stated I can try by my own actions um, to overcome the depravity that exists in my country of birth, I'm not going to be able to. The weight of that is greater than I can overcome. Literally. Literally. And that the consequence of not being able to change my citizenship is that my country is going down the tube and it's going to be destroyed because it has no way of standing on its own. So the consequence of staying a citizen of my country of birth is death, ultimately. Destruction. Okay, well, I, I don't know how far this analogy goes, but let's play this out a little bit. So I wasn't born in this country. Okay. okay and I have at least three U.S. friends. Probably. Were, were you guys born in the U.S.? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you? Ukraine? Belarus? Sorry. Okay. Where are you? Where are you born? Russia. Russia. Okay. So several of us weren't born in the U.S. Right. Okay. Now... I happen to be a U.S. citizen because my parents were, right. and I could choose either country, right. which if I could have gone to the Olympics with the other one, I would have gone that way, <laughs> because I'll never get to go to the world. We're citizens of the world. 
So, so I'm, I'm generalizing, uh, using the United States as an example, as a general of the world. But if you come to this country, you can go through a process. Correct. You can do something. You become a naturalized citizen. That's right. Well, if you're not a naturalized citizen, you can become uh, a citizen. So, you have to make a choice, though. And I had to make a right. choice because I would have had to serve in the military or right. for one of the other countries. So, I don't know that the analogy really works totally. No, it doesn't work. But, <laughs> but this thing about being born again, which we just read about, yeah. is the point. It is the point that you need a different origin in order to be part of God's kingdom, and in order to have communion with God, in order to have communion with the king, you need to be a citizen of the kingdom. And it just so happens that the king is the source of, of life, is the source of goodness, is the source of rightness, is the source of holiness. And when we look at the attributes of God, um, both those that can be communicated to his creation and those that can't, um, those are uh, reasons to desire to be in communion with God, right? As a creature, we would desire to be uh, in communion. And in fact, um, some would say that we have a, a we are created with a, uh, a God-shaped hole in our heart, right? So you've heard that in a popular song. It was actually stated by Pascal um, as one of in his, uh, some of his writings, and that he recognized that the way man was created was for relationship, and not just for any relationship, that we're created for a relationship horizontally with our brothers and sisters, but we're created fundamentally for a relationship vertically with God. And that that's the reason that we are created. And that what happened is, is that we found ourselves um, outside of that kingdom of God. And so we do have a yearning, but how do we fill that yearning, right? So there's a, a God-shaped hole inside of every one of us. How do we fill that? Do we fill that with our own life, our own way, our own uh, reality? And what Jesus said is, no, there is no other way. There is no other life. There is no other reality. There is no other truth. Um, and so what happens is, is what we do, no matter what we do, we end up with that same yearning. So those uh, that pursue sin recognize that it's an endless chase, that it never satisfies. Right? But if you are in God's, in relationship with God in Shalom, you are satisfied. The Bible tells us that, because that's the way we were created. So what this... Um, process of salvation that's about is um, fulfilling that which we were created for but we have been uh, lost too that's why we need to be saved we're lost so uh, if that's what is necessary in order to make us whole and God actually cares about that how does he go about doing it how does he go about uh, affecting us being born again. Pardon? Well, eventually he invites us. Uh, and he invites us. Uh, 1, 11, 12, for example. Mm -hmm. All who received him to them, he, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human descent, born of by the Spirit. Right. That um, we understand that in order to be born again, we have to be called. So I would point out, this is what I would suggest is the order of salvation. That salvation isn't a single event, although we experience singular events within that, um, but rather it's a process that starts with God. It starts with God's choosing us. So if God did not want to be involved in relationship with us, he just wouldn't get involved. He would be like the God of Thomas Jefferson, the watchmaker, who created this incredibly complex machine, wound it up, and set it in motion, um, but is not personally involved with the inhabitants of that creation. But that's not what we understand as God. God is not just transcendent in the sense that he is outside of time and outside of creation. So if you look at all of creation as the box, right? And there's a lot of stuff in the box. Um, all of that was created by God, so that necessarily means that he's outside the box. Um, so if you ever go through the, the truth... Uh, Truth Project, or what's, what's the name of that? <laughs> Truth Project. Um, they, they present this concept of God is outside of the box. He's a creator. And that it necessarily is, it's a, it's a necessary requirement that God is transcendent. But God is not just transcendent. He actually cares about that which he created. He created it for a purpose. He created it to actually share in some of the attributes that he could communicate to his creation. Um, which we understand as um, spirit, right, and will and mind and many other things that we would understand from the revelation of God are um, immaterial, but we also have a material aspect. We don't know what that says about God because we know God is spirit, that he's not bound in material uh, reality, uh, but nonetheless, there's something about uh, in the mind of God that understands the body. So we understand the material, the body, and the immaterial, the soul, the spirit, the mind, the heart, the will, all of those immaterial aspects that we talk about that make up part of uh, God's creation of humans. And so uh, God, being transcendent, wouldn't necessarily have to get involved with any of that, but he chose to. He chose, because he created us, for communion with him, the creator and the creation are to be um, joined as the bride and the groom are to be joined, right? Two separate become one. That's the picture that's given in the very beginning between man and woman and in the very end between God and his people. Christ and the church. Right? So there's something about this relationship that we are created for um, that God actually didn't intend to remain transcendent and apart from, but actually intended to become imminent together with. And that's God's choosing. He chose that. He not only chose that about his 
his own uh, self, but he chose that about each one of us individually. So God chose you. Um, he didn't just purpose you for something and not be involved. He purposes you um, for your blessing, for your good, and relationship with him, which he desires. That's what God does. He chooses us. Just like when uh, I chose Karen and I said, I love you, I was saying that. Um, she chose me, which I'm very grateful for. So every day I say, thank you for choosing me. Right? Because that's where it starts. It starts with the choice. And thank you for choosing me. Um, so God chose us. But then there's this whole problem. Right? There's this problem of uh, how, even though God chooses us, how can we, being imperfect, uh, not that we were created imperfect, because man and woman were created perfect, and God said, man, this is very good. But imperfection or corruption entered in through sin. So how can we, being corrupted, come into the presence of God? Well, we need to be born again, was Jesus' statement. So what we understand is that God in his grace is making a way for us to come into his, his kingdom. And that that is both prevenient which means it's grace that comes before. It isn't grace that comes at the moment of salvation because God was there before you were even ready to hear the word. We realize that from Psalm 139, where uh, David says, God knew me when I was in my mother's womb. He, he numbered my days. He knows my thoughts before they're on my tongue. Right? God knows us, that's God's prevenient grace. He's working in our life before we even know it in order to create this way to come to him. And that that is effectual. No matter how we want to uh, spin the randomness of creation, it accomplishes exactly what God intended to accomplish. And he says that. In Isaiah 55, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, just as the, the heavens are higher than the earth. Let me read it. It says, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Right? It's effectual. What God does is going to accomplish the very purpose that he intends. Isn't it surprisingly saved? The expression, saved by grace, we have been saved through yes, faith. Through faith. So where's the and faith? So how strong, you know, like how strong is your faith? Well, you know, grace and faith is. That's what I would say if we were to look at um, man. So you've probably seen me draw this picture before. As man was created, man and woman. I say man, I mean mankind, humanity. Uh, I'm not going to be politically correct here to use the language of the King James. Uh, so there was communion between. God and humanity. 
between God and Adam. And when uh, God finished the creation of humanity, um, humanity was, was perfect. It was, it was really good, right? Now, none of us are perfect, right? And we would say, well, Adam wasn't perfect, that's why he sinned. No, I would say that in the original condition to which man was created, there was no sin, there was no imperfection. It had not yet entered in. Um, but then when the fall came, it was total. God said, in the moment that you partake of that fruit, in other words, that you enter in to choosing your own way, your own good, your own reality, the moment that you do that, um, death immediately enters in, and that corruption is total. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. We read that in Romans chapter 5. It said, just as Adam's uh, sin and brought sin to all people, and the evidence of that is death, right? So also Christ can bring life. So that's the whole key, is that God becoming human was God making a way for man. It was God's grace that sent his son. And we're going to read that in this passage, right? It was God's love that sent his son. So we understand that grace that comes before, so man is totally depraved, in that condition, we would never choose God because we had already rejected him. If God didn't come to us and reach out and, and uh, in some way make it possible for us, it would be impossible to come to God. He makes it possible by grace that comes before. Sometimes it's called common grace or prevenient grace that is given to all people. We, uh, we understand that grace in the common uh, or the general revelation, God's goodness to all humanity and all creation. And so that's God's grace coming before that enables us minimally to understand that there is a God, number one, that we can't deny him. We can try. Look at popular media and it tries to deny God. But that ultimately we cannot deny God and that um, we cannot deny our ungodness, right? that we are fallen creatures, but that we'll do all sorts of things to not be aware of that. We'll, uh, we'll make idols, we'll uh, practice things that um, cause us to uh, live in darkness, and then we encourage those around us to enter the darkness because there's strength in numbers, right? If everybody's evil, then whence is good? Uh, so we understand that that's what's going, but God makes it uh, possible for man. He makes light come into that darkness. That is prevenient, effectual grace. Light came into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. That's what John said. And what happens is, is in that place, there is a revelation by the Spirit that God wants a personal relationship with you. So when I talk about this communion and I'm describing what I understand that the Bible says, I believe that the Spirit is working in your hearts. That Spirit of revelation, that it's like a, a prick or a goad that they would make the oxen go forward on the cart with. Right? That um, what they would do is they'd have a wagon that they would hook up to the beast of burden and they would put sticks in the front of it. It's called a pick or a goat, such that if the oxen kicks back, 
says, I don't want to pull this cart. He hits that goat because it's a reminder that that's what, he, that's what he's there for, right? Um, you have the same thing happen with uh, a bullfight, right? The guys that get the bull all excited, they come out, they're called the picadors. They're picking the bull. They're, they're antagonizing him for a, a purpose. Well, God picks us. That's what that revelation is. That's what that calling is. It's a picking at your heart, re revealing himself to you that causes you to choose. Once you know that there is God and that he desires to be in relationship with you so that he's not just the God, but he's your God, right? There's a, there's a change there. Um, that's the calling. Daniel. Does that mean that you've been elected if you get to that point? Uh, yes. God has to choose you before he would ever call you. Right. Now, we, we can talk about election, and, and I'm going to choose not to go there fully this morning. <laughs> but I suppose that we should. But we're just not going to this morning. Um, what I would suggest is that um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. The world God so loved the world in total that he gave his only begotten son that, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. So I'll just leave it at that this morning. We'll talk about election in a different time. Um, but what I would suggest is, is that God chose you. He makes this way that comes before and it is truly effective and that he is going to continually reveal himself to you through the Spirit. He's going to do that in a general way. When you wake up and you take your first breath in the morning, not that you're holding your breath all night, and you look outside and you say, oh, where did the sun go? Or, wow, there's sun today. Um, that, that's a general revelation that God is there sustaining you, mm -hmm. that he is present with you, that you are not apart from him, and that he specifically is calling you this morning. So when I speak, I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking the words of the Spirit that God has given me to reveal to you that He specifically is calling you. Right? And that's what I believe is true. That I'm not just <clears throat> giving you my opinion. Um, although I do, I am an opinionated person, so I can tell you all sorts of things. <laughs> but, I, but I pray specifically that God will use me to speak that which he wants to you. And I believe that God is capable of doing that, even through a person like me. So I believe that there is a specific uh, revelation that is part of that calling, and that, again, that is effective. That we observe that. It actually changes people. It changes them because they come to a place of what we call conversion. Is that a scriptural, like a... Pardon? Where is that? In, where is it? In, Does it ever use the word... Uh, which? Conversion? Conversion? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a look. Acts fifteen three. What? Your mom's so right here, Acts 15.3 says, so being, this is the only place it occurs in the Bible, by the way, because at least in the NASB, it says, uh, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. 
It brought great joy to all the brothers. So I would say, yes, conversion is a biblical biblical, uh, concept. And it does appear in Scripture. So what are the elements of conversion? And what I would suggest is that there are two parts of conversion. And I can't tell you which comes first. But what I can say is that conversion is a response to calling. So I would say that the order that I'm given here is pretty, I would believe, pretty defensible up to conversion. Then I'd say that in conversion, two things occur. One of those things is what you described, that you come to see the truth, the revelation, about yourself. And the lost condition that you are in. And you also come to see the truth about who God is and what he's doing in his calling. Right? And you choose to turn from yourself and your reality and your way um, and your life to his way and his life. And that what happens, that's what we call repentance. That's that turning. That's that acknowledging uh, the truth, uh, which is God's truth. And that in that, you have a confidence that God will do that which he promised. You have faith. Now, I would say faith is a gift. And I would say that revelation that you have is a gift. All revelation is from God. If it's true revelation. In order for you to understand something that is outside of your uh, world that you could understand, God has to reveal it to you. That's a gift. And that you could actually uh, believe that in the face of all doubt, that you could choose God is a gift from God as well. So I would say that in conversion, um, this is God enabling you to be reborn. But the actual rebirth itself, the regeneration, is the total work of the Spirit. So I'm giving you a, a sequence here that when you get to conversion, conversion is a combination of faith and repentance. And what's subsequent to that is an actual change in your, your citizenship. That you're born into the, the kingdom of God. And that subsequent to that, you now stand justified before all accusers. God defends his children. Out of this question, maybe you didn't ask this, but do you instantly become a follower, a follower or a disciple mm-hmm. as soon as you are converted? As you are Good question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> So we understand that once you believe, once you have faith, once you repent and believe, and that you are forgiven and get new life, that you're all of a sudden in a place of, uh, in new life, you have an implied obligation, which is an obligation to follow. You need to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't just end, it's not a one-time event, but it's a process. So even though justification is something that happens, which is a legal understanding of uh, forgiveness, um, sanctification is that process of following. 
So where we are this morning, hopefully, all of us in this room, is we're right here. We're at sanctification. And in sanctification, we're growing up. We're learning not to just drink milk, but to eat meat. We're learning to discern good from evil. Right? All of those things that the Bible tells us when we read about those messages to the mature, that's what we're doing right now. We're being sanctified by the revelation of God. It's a continuing revelation and communion with him that we are growing in our assurance so one of the things i would tell you is that faith and doubt are not uh, contradictory rather you can't have faith without doubt but what you have is that you have a growing assurance that god is in truly uh, able to do that which he says he will do because he's made you a promise which isn't yet fulfilled that promise is down here that's glorification. That means that you are uh, partaking in the very life of God, which is eternal life. And that we know that even though we have eternal life today as present reality, that um, we are not fully formed yet. We are not glorified as Christ was when he was raised from the dead. That we are still in the process of sanctification. And in that process, we're going to struggle. We're going to miss. We're going to hit. Bus. So, sorry, yeah, but we were reading Mark chapter 6 mm-hmm. years ago. That Jesus says to his followers, if you want to follow me, yep. or those who will follow me, you know, they are looking down themselves, they take up their cross and follow me. Yep. That means we're going to struggle. What's that? That means we're going to struggle. Right. So, but that can't be done unless we have a new heart. It causes us to want to do that. Is that right. true? So, regeneration precedes sanctification. Okay. That's why I put a specific word here. But I would say that all of this is about salvation. What does it mean to be saved? It's more than just a single event. It's a, a life, a lifestyle, a way of living that includes the following. It includes the repentance, which can be a daily repentance. It includes hearing that call every day. Because as God reveals his purpose to you in sanctification, your life is going to change. Right? So there's a, there's a pursuit, the pursuit so, of God. Yes. if your life doesn't change, if yes. you decide that yep. you don't really want to pursue anymore at some point in your life, my question's always been... Yes, can you throw off the... Can you, know, throw off, can you lose that salvation? Because, you know, people you dedicate their life to the Lord. And I have a question whether number four, number five, number six ever happened to begin with. That's, that's the Calvinistic position. The Arminian position is so, what you're describing. No, it's a good point. So, actually, so uh, foxhole kind of conversion right. would still be a true conversion. <clears throat> I think that people can come to an understanding of their state that they are lost. So when they're facing death in the foxhole, um, it, it does something. Like we're okay. It's like, ah. And we hear about it. It's like, Lord, I promise I'll quit smoking, I'll quit drinking, I'll be faithful to my wife, I'll do all of these things that you require, like it's a requirement that there's a program of God um, that we need to follow, if you'll just save me from this moment, because I don't want to die. Right. Foxhole conversion. Yeah. Or is that a statement of, God, I'll choose you even if you take me right now? That's different. Yeah. That's different. 
What that is, is that's repentance. That's what repentance means, is to turn to God and trust Him for life. Well, that's like the guy, the two thieves on the cross from Jesus. Yes. One was saying, hey, save us, you know, and the other guy's like, you know, hey, don't you know we deserve this? And just remember me. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm going to run out of time. Bob, real quick. Well, I don't want to argue words, though, but you have an order here, and I understand it. Right. I think it's more important for them to get wrapped up in the order. I think all of those things are pretty much ongoing all the time. Yes. The, number one, you've got to realize that salvation is of the Lord. Right. It's all his, he's the author and the finisher yep. of faith. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, you're right. The grace, the, uh, the revelation is all a gift. The faith is a gift. Like here, you're also talking about yep. activating your faith or unleashing your faith or something. It's like something they could do to make things happen. Yes. It's a gift. Uh, you know, the grace, you need the grace day by day to continue doing, working in the sanctification stuff. I mean, it's all going on continuously. Yes, I, I agree. We are being saved, and that's yeah, my point. I have been saved from my sin, from condemnation. I am being saved, and I will hopefully be saved. That, that's an absolute correct statement, and that's what I'm intending to convey here. And now I want to read this passage that Jesus said to Nicodemus. And I want you to, to recognize, I'm going to give you a hint. Don't get bogged down in what water is. Uh, is water the uh, physical birth process? Or does water represent the baptism of repentance, which is what John the Baptist was preaching? And that's why I would say that the latter part of this chapter and, and all of this relates together is because there's trying to there's some information about what this water is. Now, let me read this. It said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Duh. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, through that repentant process, and spirit, regeneration, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, in other words, if you're of this kingdom, you're of this kingdom. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. If you're of God's kingdom, you're of God's kingdom. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, it's a mystery. But you can see the impact of it in people's lives, that they have changed lives. Just as the wind moves, you see the result of that movement, even though you can't see the wind, and you can't catch the wind, and you may not even have a clue as to where it's coming from or how it works, but nonetheless you see the result, and that's what Tim was talking about, and that's what you're talking about, that there is a, there is a following that is evident that you can see. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It's the whole point of the teaching ministry in Israel. Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. You do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Key verse. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to tell you this. What he quotes is he quotes Numbers 21. And, and it's an example. 
of where the people, in their rebellion against God and against Moses' leadership, are whiners. And they're being bitten by snakes and dying. What God instructs Moses to do is take a bronze image of a snake and put it on the pole and put that pole at the edge of camp. And if anyone is bitten by a snake and looks at that, which is the promise of God of deliverance, that one lifted up, that they would not die, but they would have life. Now tell me that that makes sense. No, that's a mystery. But that's exactly what God did. He saved his people by lifting up a snake. He saved his people by lifting up his son for our sin. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is how it works. Whether you understand where the wind comes from or not, it doesn't matter. It's about what I'm doing for you. That your salvation rests in me. That's what, that's what God is saying here. Wow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Wow. And it goes beyond that. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God loves you. That's what this passage is about. Um, We're going to unpack it more. I I realize I gave you, I wanted to give you uh, opportunity to wrestle with salvation. Because we're not done wrestling yet. We're still in sanctification, hopefully. But if you'd never ever considered that repentance and faith and regeneration are essential in that progression, you need to consider that this morning. So here, here's the wrestling match. And you're going to give us a copy of this later, right? If you'd like. Thank you. Yep. There's a lot more. I just bulletized this. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. And, and Tim, you opened us. Will you close us this morning? Increase our faith and to even doubt. Lord, we thank you for this class. We thank you for today. Lord, would you bless this service today and us as a body? Would you use us in a specific and uh, real way, each and every one? In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Amen. Amen.